Magna est veritas et prevelibit. Uh, Some Latin thing. Okay. It basically translates to truth is mighty and will prevail. But it had to be said in Latin. Yes. Because it's magic then. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. Do you feel it, Aaron? Do you feel the spirit of God? It is here in our presence today. Uh, uh, I definitely feel it now. (laughs) Jesus, God, where did you get that impression from? (laughs) No idea. Oh my God, it was perfect. It was perfect. And, you know, that's kind of a spoiler because, well, anyway... We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? Billy James Hargis and Billy Sunday. Oh, oh, I got it, I got it. Sunday, Billy Sunday. Sunday, Billy, Sunday! (laughs) To the History Lab! Two Billies, one Billy, and another Billy. One hated the Beatles and communism, the other loved baseball and tents. There's not much else to say. Brace yourself. So, James, uh, what do you think you could get from the Michelin Man for $5? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Where is your fucking mind? Well, I, see, I was thinking for 5 bucks you could just roll all over him for a few minutes. Mm. Just, you know, feel his soft, cushy flesh beneath yours. God. Yeah. Well, hey, you got to answer it, too. I don't know. The first thing that jumps to mind is that for five bucks, he would change your tires and give you a hand job. Oh, my God. But That's... <laughs> who knows? Well, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, computer, please bring up Billy Sunday and Billy James Hargis. Affirmative, my lord. So, James, mm-hmm. tell us a little about Billy James Hargis. What is he best known for? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad I asked, too. <sighs> Billy James Hargis is best known for being a successful Christian radio evangelist and helped set the basis for the American political Christian right movement. Wait a second. I feel like we've talked about this already rather recently, too. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just because they're super interesting. They are. I don't know. And And it's personal. And it's relevant. Yep. That's true. Personal, relevant, interesting, sexy. Mm. I mean, what else do you need? Yep. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> speaking of sexy, uh, well, tell us a little bit about what Billy James Hargis looked like. He looks like what you would get if you froze a giant pile of lard <laughs> and then sculpted it into a chubby man-looking statue. <laughs> Put a Bible in one hand, oh. and uh, you hang an American flag behind him, and what you get is Mr. Billy James Hargis. Wow. See, that sounds suspiciously like McCarthy. Suspiciously. That's that's mm, interesting yeah, you would yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah. So how about the other Billy? Yeah. yeah. Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday. What did he do? Well, he is best known for being the biggest friggin' Christian evangelist of the early 20th century. <laughs> I mean, holy shit, this guy was big. Not literally, though. So if he wasn't big, what did he actually look like? Uh, well, this is a man who just had fire in his eyes. Ah. There's some amazing photos of this guy preaching where he's just shouting out the word of Jesus with all the heat and passion you'd expect from a dude named Billy Sunday. <laughs> uh, in his early photos, he has a youthful spirit, which develops into a much harder look, look as his life progresses. Hmm. Uh, he goes from looking like a wild-eyed athlete to a wild-eyed evangelist uh, who knows full well that you touch yourself oh so gently. Oh, God. Yeah, super fun. Oh. <laughs> Oh no, is this gonna get sexy? This is good. Oh, I mean, come on. Uh, the whole podcast is sexy. Uh, well, one thing after another. One just just a load of sex constantly. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, we gotta get moving on this. Uh, yeah, I want my parents to know that this is the sexiest podcast on the air. Yeah. You know, I know you're trying to do that. That's why you record always naked, but <laughs> it's. Okay, come we're on. What's going on? Recording naked is because I prefer to go on after all. I like to be myself on the air, okay? Okay? 
All right. Whatever. So uh, why don't you tell us about uh, Billy James Hargis's early life? All right. Well, Hargis was born on August 3rd, 1925. He was adopted by a railroad worker and his wife and grew up in rather poor circumstances. Ah. It was the Great Depression after all. Oh, no. Uh, which, as a side note, when I write a biography of you, Aaron, I'm going to entitle it The Great Depression. Oh, too deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Depression is not a joke, everybody. Mm. There are resources and antidepressants that will make you fat. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck? I know from experience. We're getting okay. We gotta. We gotta get on with this. Okay. So, so Hargis. Har Hargis. Uh, his family is poor, and he had no radio or ways to entertain themselves. Uh, wait, himself. He had <laughs> his whole family. I'm assuming. Had yes. The okay. They're just okay. poor railroad workers, no radio. Okay. Thus, as a boy, Hargis spent most of his free time doing what every American child should do more of. Yes. Reading and memorizing their Bible. Absolutely. And yes. you know what? I'm assuming that's the only book they had. Possibly. This was like the Middle Ages. Books were super rare, right? That's not... Uh, yes, accurate. 1925 but, is a year before the Middle Ages ended, everybody. Oh, yes. okay. Um, I am a historian. Hmm. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that. Uh, so, uh, tell us more about Hargis. Yes. So, one day, Hargis's mother got super sick and was hospitalized. Not good. No. Hargis prayed and told God that he would dedicate his life to serving Christ if God saved his mother from death. Oh. Guess what? Oh. God saved his mom. Oh. So Hargis began his life as a soldier in God's army. Ah, that's so suspiciously similar to Martin Luther, who hmm. was like, God, if you save me from this lightning storm, I'll become a priest. Mm, it's funny how that works. Mm -hmm. Funny how that works. And then you get the Protestant Reformation and all the death. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 30 years war. So speaking of the Protestant uh, Reformation, let's mm -hmm. move over to... Uh, Billy Sunday's early life and okay. just get started. Uh, Master Sunday was born in 1862, his full name being William Ashley Sunday, because this was an era when Ashley wasn't strictly a girl's name. And maybe it's not today, I really don't know, but uh, I've never met a male Ashley, so there you go. You've never met a female Ashley either, let's be real. Hey, shut up! Just because I got, I mean, just because you're getting engaged this week. Look, it is supposed to be a surprise. Do not spoil well, it. By the time this releases, you'll have already eloped to Hoboken, New Jersey. I'll be running the show alone. At least I'll be free. And I will be here alone. So, just, so alone. Just get on with it. Now, more on names. Sunday was not actually the true name of Billy Sunday's family. Okay. His grandparents had uh, been named Sontag, which is German for something. I don't know. Anyway, they anglicized Sontag into Sontag, Sontag into Sunday. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, Billy Sunday's life didn't start easy. Hmm. Just like uh, Hargis, his family was super poor, and his father joined the Civil War and died something like four months later to that nasty illness known as pneumonia, when Billy Sunday was only five weeks old. Yikes. Yeah, so that sucks. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, Sunday spent the first few years of his life living with his mother's parents, where he <laughs> soon felt right at home as he grew older. Good. In fact, he became as thick as thieves with his grandmother in particular, which influenced his later writings. Ah. Uh, however, this did not last forever. Billy Sunday's mother remarried for like six months, but was promptly abandoned, hmm. leaving little Billy and his family completely destitute. Yep. So She needs to choose better men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on, everybody. Learn from Billy Sunday's mom. Don't mm -hmm. fall in love with people who will die of pneumonia. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she was forced to send Billy and his older brother to an orphanage, where he stayed from the time he was 10 to the time he was 14. Yikes. And whilst Billy Sunday, and I use whilst just for fun, hmm. whilst Billy Sunday was in the orphanage, he got a pretty good education and spent a lot of time playing sports. Wow, sounds like a pretty good orphanage. Mm -hmm. This was big for him, and he was apparently excellent at pretty much anything athletic he found himself doing. Huh. <clears throat> And then he did the best thing ever. What? He started working on a goddamn Shetland pony oh, farm. That's amazing. And then he was living there uh, with this charitable family known as the Scots. Hmm. The family made sure that Billy Sunday got to go to high school. And after all this, what really kept winning out for Sunday was his athleticism. Hmm. He was recruited as a firefighter and started playing for the baseball team in Marshalltown, Iowa, oh. which is a real place. This... <laughs> uh, it's all American here. I, I know. Uh, it was while playing here that he got the attention of a dude named Adrian. Adrian Anson for being most excellent at this game called baseball. Hmm. Yeah, Anson recommended Billy Sunday for recruiting to a guy named A.G. Spaulding, who was president of the Chicago White Stockings. 
White stockings, you ask? Yes! (laughs) The Chicago Cubs used to be called the White Stockings. Then they were called the Colts. Then the Cubs, with a lot of pet names thrown in between uh, while the team was struggling around, like, the turn of the 20th century. Yeah. I don't Mm. know anything about sports. I probably fucked something up in there, but Mm. I tried, okay? Sorry, Dad. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so Billy is playing for the White Stockings, and he gets off to a great start by striking out for his first four games. Mm -hmm. But his batting average wasn't his strongest asset. No, Mm. sir. What really made Sunday stick out was the same thing that made him stick out in high school and in Marshall. Being an orphan? Oh, no. Oh. Dumbass. Oh. He wasn't an orphan in Marshalltown. He was living with <laughs> ponies. <laughs> but anyway, so Billy Sunday was fucking fast. Okay. And by fast, I mean he outran nearly everyone who raced him, like, by a goddamn mile, pretty much. Nice. Um, he was also known for being a pretty good guy all around, and after playing for the White Stockings for a good long while, he was sold to Pittsburgh's team, the Allegnies. What? I, I don't know. Al- Alleghenies. I, I don't know. What? Uh, and I know. If, I just know I fucked that up. But uh, Alleghenies. I don't know. Huh. Uh, anyway, and, and there's probably some sports guy out there tearing his hair out. Like, it's Alleghenies or whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, in Pittsburgh, he was playing full-time for the first time. Uh, unfortunately, the team sucked, and he, uh, the team literally ran out of money. It could uh. no longer pay the players. <laughs> uh, so Billy Sunday was sold to the Philadelphia Phillies, creative naming their guys, and saw a lot more success with a better team. But Sunday, at this point, was kind of done with baseball. Getting okay. traded around was not his thing. Hmm. He had another thing. What? A bigger thing. A divine thing. It was the biggest, divinest thing you had ever seen. His penis? That's the... Fuck! You can't just <laughs> say it like that, goddammit! Sorry. Put a beep in there. <laughs> Alright. <clears throat> Good? Yep. It was the biggest, divinest thing you had ever seen. And we'll talk about that big, divine thing when we come back to Billy Sunday. But for now, I think we're gonna take a break. Yep. And when we come back, we'll be talking about some adult stuff. Uh, don't say that. Their adult way. lives. Okay, it's their adult <laughs> lives. Which is to say their sex lives. Okay. They had them. Yes. They had them. I'm sure they both had mm-hmm. children. I know Billy had children. Did other Billy have children? Yes, he did. Oh, okay, so they did have sex lives. Yes. Fascinating. Anyway, break time! <laughs> and we are back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we had just finished talking about Billy Sunday's sexy early life, and now we're Billy- moving into the other Billy, Billy James Hargus's adult life. Yes. So, James, take it away. So, we had just left Hargus after he had given his life to Christ after God saved his mom. Okay. So, here we go. At the age of 17 and before finishing Bible college, Hargis was ordained as a pastor in the Disciples of Christ denomination. So, wait, he didn't finish college? No. Not not at this point. (laughs) He's also 17. Uh, Yes. And a pastor. Oh. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, uh, then then what happened? He he stayed here for a few years until he decided to pursue a career in radio evangelism. That's basically what we do. Basically. (laughs) Okay. But then what happened? Then Aaron... Something happened. Oh, no. World War II happened! Again? Again! <laughs> okay. That, that affected a lot of people, you yeah, know? I was kind of realizing that for the first kinda time. Kind of like it involved the whole world or something. I don't uh, know. I guess. Um, but anyway, anyway, happened? So Hargis did not answer Uncle Sam's call, but instead went to Ozark Bible College in Arkansas in 1943. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so I know. So he didn't finish at the other place. He went to a different place. Yes. Okay. You were probably hoping for a fun World War II story, but there's nothing here. Nope. Not like McCarthy. Mm. I missed Taylor. Gunner sure. Joe already. Hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, be my tail gunner. Right? <laughs> uh, you know what? Oh god! When we when we recorded that episode, I was so pleased with you <laughs> going the whole episode without making that fucking joke. Well, <laughs> I should have known it would come back. Oh well, yep. Well, everybody, if you don't know what tail gunner Joe means, one, just go watch some gay porn, or two, what listen the to the fuck? last episode. We do not condone this. <laughs> Okay. Okay, so he was at the Ozark Bible College in Arkansas, right? Yes. He studied here for a year, but then went back to pastoring and doing his whole radio evangelism mission. Okay. But the world was about to change. World War III? Uh, Not yet. Okay. Hargis would change with the world. Okay. In 1947, Hargis heard of this little thing called communism. Oh, no. And began to get really scared. Oh, no. We're talking McCarthyism scared. Not McCarthy! Mm hmm. Yes. So, uh, he began pairing his message of Christianity with one of strict anti-communism. Hmm, kind of like a opposite Jim Jones. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yes. Mm. So, in 1950, Hargis started an organization which he called the Christian Crusade. <laughs> I've been to that pub. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, this organization was pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Oh, save America from the godless commies. I was thinking of something a little different, like maybe invading the Holy Land. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. Mm, okay. Mm. So then what? Uh, Hargis starts just lashing out at all sorts of different people and groups for being communists and anti-God. Oh, those bastards. Mm. He attacked churches, government officials, and even popular singers. <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, in 1957, the Disciples of Christ denomination withdrew their ordination of Hargis because he had begun denouncing other churches within this denomination. Whoa, now. But this did not matter to Hargis. Uh, because at this point, his radio station was making about a million dollars a year, and he was sufficiently both economically and theologically independent. Wow. Theologically independent. Yes. Yes, he was, yep. apparently. I, he, no one... He, had to, he didn't have to answer to anyone. So tell me, what happened in 1957? In 1957, Hargis got a Bachelor of Arts degree from Pikes Peak Bible Seminary, and then got a theology degree from Burton College and Seminary in 1958. Huh. Oh! And then Bob Jones University gave him an honorary doctor of laws. <laughs> They're known for doing that. Oh, Bob saying. Jones. Uh, we love you. We got to do an episode on Bob Jones. We do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So now let's take a look into what Hargis actually believed and preached. His personal motto was, all I want to do is preach Jesus and save America. Well, that's kind of what I want to do too. I mean, it's kind of an innocent enough uh, idea. Yeah, uh, I guess so. But things get sketchy really fast. His big thing was anti-communism, of course. Yes. And this brought along a couple a couple of viewpoints that aren't really too surprising. Okay, gulags. I can see it coming. He's anti-communist. Oh, though. I'm sorry. Anti-gulag. There are no gulags. I, well, Damn it. Maybe. I didn't see anything on that, but it's not. <laughs> They're all secret here in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, anyway, Hargis preached that America should pull out of the United Nations, supported Repu Republican Barry Goldwater in the 1964 presidential uh -oh. election, and feared the military expansion of the Soviet Union. Ah. Okay, I mean, fair, fair enough. None of these are too terrible. No. Nope. Uh, but of course, Hargis's hatred of communism was only the basis for his views on everything. Oh, no. Let's talk about cultural issues. Oh, God. Yes. We are so not qualified for this. Ah, uh, well. We're not qualified to do this podcast. That is... <laughs> Very, very true. Yeah, okay. Maybe Bob Jones University will give us an honorary degree. We should ask We them. should! <laughs> so, first of all, Hargis strongly believed that public schools must bring God back into the classroom. Wait. Hmm. Wait a second. If God is everywhere, yes. he's already there. So we don't really need you, Hargis. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Using your own Bible against you. Mm. Yes. Mm. Uh, that's not a... <laughs> So what did he want, actually? Uh, he wanted prayer and Bible reading to be scheduled into the school days of public schools. Okay. Secondly, Hargis believed that sex education should not be taught by schools at all. Ah, uh, yes. His yes. little organization, called the Christian Crusade, actually released a pamphlet entitled... Is the schoolhouse the proper place to teach raw sex? Oh, raw. I know. I don't know why he put that adjective oh. in there. <laughs> uh. No. Uh, but don't you worry, listeners, dear listeners. Mm. I will read some segments from this book in a little bit. Oh, please. <laughs> but for now, let's continue on Hargis's stances on social issues. Okay. And this is where it goes from bad to terrible. Oh, no. Hargis was a strong believer in racial segregation. Mm. There it is. Mm. Mm. That's a millennial idea, by the way. What? <laughs> is the it? millennials come up with everything bad. Uh, and you know, Hargis's generation, that was the greatest generation. Hmm. They did nothing wrong. That's so <laughs> not true. <laughs> I can't even jokingly say that. Nope. The abandoned uh. joke. <laughs> so what did he do then? Uh, he did things like accuse Martin Luther King Jr. of being a communist, Aww. and also taught that desegregation violated the Eighth Commandment, which says do not steal, by allowing uh, the government to steal people's property. He did not. He did. No. Oh. Yes. Well, okay, okay, I don't... Eighth I, Commandment? Or Eighth... Eighth Amendment? No, Commandment. Commandment. Wow. Yeah. He's not using the Constitution, no. He's just flat out using the Ten Commandments. Oh! Yes. Okay. Um, mm. So, okay, to be fair, I don't think what he's saying here is that black people are his property. Okay. I think he's saying more... You can't force them to shop in my uh, my school, shop <laughs> in my stores because the store is my property or something. I don't know. Oh, it doesn't make sense because I, I it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, what else did he anyway, hate? Anyway, uh, he also really hated Catholics. Ah, uh, perfect. Now, this was actually one of his mistakes that would lead to him losing influence later on. Huh. Turns out that most American Catholics at this time also hated communism. Huh. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, McCarthy was a Catholic. Exactly, okay. yeah. Uh, Hargis later realized that he should have listened, uh, he should have loosened up on his anti-Catholic rhetoric in order to increase his audience, but mm -hmm. it was too late. Uh, another thing that Hargis was against was pop singers. Oh, well, I'm against pop singers, too. True. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, I guess I am as well. Uh, probably for different reasons than him, though. Yeah, probably. Hargis held to the conspiracy that most pop singers were being used by the government to brainwash the youth into becoming commies. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Hargis' organi organization, the Christian Crusade, also released a pamphlet entitled Communism Hypnotism and the Beatles. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. And don't worry, I'll read some excerpts from this oh, one. God, too, I cannot wait for this. They are gold. Okay. Let me just tell you. Okay, but we gotta we gotta get through a few things first. Okay. Uh, so those are basically the core beliefs of Hargis. Okay. But in addition to just being a preacher and a radio evangelist, he did some other things. Ah. Yes. He lunch. Uh, he, <laughs> he published a monthly Christian newsletter called Christian Crusade Newspaper. Oh, I get that paper. Well. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it had an audience of about 55,000 readers, which is a surprisingly big amount. Mm. Hargis also founded American Christian College in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. When asked what was taught at this college, Hargis responded, Anti-communism, anti-socialism, anti-welfare state, anti-Russia, anti-China, a literal interpretation of the Bible, and states' rights. So, two positive things, and then like a million negatives. <laughs> exactly. Got it. Okay. Uh, Hargis also started a television show called Billy James Hargis and His All-American Kids. <laughs> Okay. They were also a traveling band. Oh. Um, I looked into this, and there's unfortunately very little on it, but it looks like it was recordings of a kid's choir that sung super patriotic and Christian songs in front of a bunch of American flags. Uh. I found a record being sold online, and it features songs like, There's Something About That Name, <laughs> Every Time I Feel the Spirit, Ooh. Battle Hymn of the Republic, a classic. God of Our Fathers, and so forth and so on. Uh. Basically what you'd expect. We need to obtain this record for our listeners. It's... Okay, we, we really do. It was mm -hmm. like 17 bucks, but I'm almost willing to bite the bullet on that one. Yeah, 17 bucks. Hey, there's a Patreon goal. <laughs> if we get the $17, we we'll go. buy the record and play it for you. <laughs> uh, now, the only thing that Hargis did that can probably be objectively agreed on as good is that he founded the David Livingstone Missionary Foundation. Okay. This foundation ran hospitals, orphanages, medical vans, relief efforts, and sanctuaries for lepers in a whole bunch of third world nations, which is actually pretty cool. That seems so not him. I know. Uh, third world nations seems super not him. Uh, I don't well. know. Who knows? But hey, I may be just assassinating his character. But yeah. I don't need to do that. He kind of did it himself. He kind of did. He's not on the right side of history. <laughs> <Let's> be... <laughs> but now, the moment you've all waited for. Oh, Let's goody. take a look at some of these books. All right. So I actually found a copy of Communism, Hypnotism, and the Beatles online. Okay. It's got a great cover, which has the hammer and sickle, the four disembodied heads of the Beatles members, and an eye staring at the Whoa, reader. What? <laughs> yeah, so listeners, go go look it up. You can find the whole thing online. Ooh. Um, it's Ooh. great. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, anyway, here are some quotes that, that really really moved me. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, they're, they're a little long, but totally worth it. Okay, I'm ready. So, <clears throat> number one. In the grip of beetle fever, we are told teenagers weep, wail, and experience ecstasy-ridden hysteria that needs to be seen to be believed. Also, we are told teenagers bite their lips until they bleed, and they even get overexcited and take off their clothes. Uh. To understand what rock and roll in general, and the Beatles in particular, are doing to our teenagers, it is necessary to return to Pavlov's laboratory. Okay. <laughs> the Beatles' ability to make teenagers take off their clothes and riot is laboratory tested and approved. It is scientifically labeled mass hypnosis and artificial neurosis. What? Oh, oh, God, my God. I don't even know where to start with that. I, I you better just either. read the next one. Uh, I love that he brings up Pavlov's dogs. I, I know. I know. He talks about it for like a couple pages. <laughs> God damn it. Yes. Okay, next quote. And since our teenagers under Beatlemania will actually riot, it is imperative to understand the basic underlying philosophy of the Beatles. Are they susceptible to the enemies of our republic? Are they religiously capable of wreaking havoc for social reasons? <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, his conclusion was yes. No, oh, okay. There. <laughs> uh, next quote. Okay. The music isn't art form at all, but a very destructive process. Ah. Teenage mental breakdown is at an all-time high, and juvenile delinquency is nearly destroying our society. Because of the music? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, both are caused in part by emotional instability, which in turn is caused in part by destructive music such as rock and roll and certain kinds of jazz. But not the ones that Hargis listens to, I'm <laughs> no, sure. No, probably yeah. not. Uh, but no matter what one might think about the Beatles or the Animals or the Mindbenders, uh, the results are the same. A generation of young people with sick minds, loose morals, and little desire or ability to defend themselves from those who would bury them. I see. In conclusion, it seems rather evident to this writer that the communists have a master music plan for all age brackets of American youth. That is so crazy. Yeah. Uh, now, a quick thing I gotta say. It wasn't uh, Hargis who actually wrote this. It was just his organization that published it. Oh, okay. But he, he was totally for all this, of course. He signed off on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now the final quote is how it how the pamphlet ends. Which one is this? This is... The uh, Beatles and the... Yeah, okay. Yeah, communism, hypnosis, and the Beatles. Okay. And this is how it ends, and it's so empowering. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Mm. We are in the fight of our lives and the lives of our children. Actions take, taken now by concerned Christians and patriotic Americans is of the utmost importance. Okay. Make sure your homes, churches, record shops, and television stations are not playing or selling young people's records. Children's record, guild records, or pram records. Uh, Make sure your schools are not using these communist records. Okay. Cybernetic uh, warfare is the ultimate weapon, and we can't afford one nerve-jammed child. Oh my god! <laughs> Throw your Beatle and Rock and Rolls records in the city dump. We have been unashamed of being labeled a Christian nation. Let's make sure four mop-headed antichrist beatniks don't destroy our children's emotional and mental stability and ultimately destroy our nation as Plato warned in his Republic. Oh yeah, because Plato talked all about the Beatles in the Republic. Oh, it's not over. Oh no. It is also inexplicably important that you inform your friends, neighbors, preachers, educators, in short, the whole nation. Circulate copies of this report, and what better way to reach the uninformed who listen to this beat music than by the very means that they use to spread it. The radio! Oh, Support no. your Christian Crusade network with your prayers, your encouragement, your work, and your gifts. <laughs> Magna est veritas et prevalibit. Uh, Some Latin thing. Okay. It basically translates to truth is mighty and will prevail. But it had to be said in Latin. Yes. Because it's magic then. Oh. <laughs> And that's how it ends. That's oh, how the pamphlet ends. That is amazing. <laughs> My favorite line is, let's make sure four mop-headed anti-Christ beatniks. <laughs> yeah. He's describing the Beatles. I'm going to call... That's a new name for my brother. He's a mop-headed anti-Christ beatnik. <laughs> yep. Oh, so wow. That's a few quotes, but look it up. The whole the whole pamphlet is that good. Oh wow. Now, unfortunately, I was not able to find a copy of "Is the Schoolhouse the Proper Place to Teach Raw Sex?" Oh. I searched long and hard, and long it doesn't look hard. <laughs> Sorry. See, I'm thinking about raw see, sex. See, Hargis was right. <laughs> we teach sex in public schools, and the youth make. Crude jokes. Well, you know what? I didn't go to public school and I still got that one, so there you go. Shit. <laughs> okay. Well, QED Hargis. <laughs> uh, anyway, I looked for this copy online. It doesn't look like there is one. Okay. But here is some information on it. Okay. Uh, it's about 40 pages long, and Time Magazine described it as an angry little pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> like that little pamphlet in Harry Potter. <laughs> How dare you steal that car? <laughs> Exactly. It just yells at you. How dare you teach raw sex? I'm absolutely disgusted. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Angry little pamphlet. Yes. <laughs> um, the pamphlet, of course, teaches that sex should not be taught in public schools because it will ruin all of our children. As it has. Uh, As it has. Uh, the pamphlet mm. claimed that public schools were attempting to, quote, toss God aside and, quote, to teach American youth a new sexual morality independent of church and state. Okay, but see, I have the same objection. If God is everywhere and all-powerful, mm -hmm. how can they just toss him aside with some records or teachings about raw sex? Mm -hmm. You make a compelling point, mm -hmm. Mr. Aaron. Mm -hmm. uh, 
<laughs> the pamphlet also claimed that sex education was a communist conspiracy and uh, would make all the kids sexually promiscuous. Yeah, because they weren't going to be that way anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, quote, if the new morality is affirmed, our children will become easy targets for Marxism and other amoral nihilistic philosophies. Oh, uh, so like knowing about sex is nihilistic. Got it. Yep. That's, that's Isn't the, that like the opposite of nihilism? <laughs> Procreate! It's not just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't, yeah. Oh my god. Anyway, it's estimated that a quarter of a million of these pamphlets were sold in America. And most of those were sold to Hargis himself, and he's just on the street corner trying to give you his <laughs> shit. Put that Probably. bullshit away. Uh, well, that's... Oh, that's huh. about it for us about life. God, we're gonna have to get over to Billy Sunday here in a second. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think we should take a break, though. Yeah, I think we should take a break. And uh, when we come back, we will be talking about Billy Sunday's adult life. This is a broadcast coming from the land of evil itself, Waco, Texas. I am Lord History, and I am here to bring you a message. It is time to stop listening to these buffoons and their atrocious podcast. I've watched them do their research, and I have had enough of seeing these awful fools lead the public astray. Therefore, it is time for me to enact the Boiler Plan. This is an all-out assault on the enemy. We will stop at nothing. We will stop for no man. We will... Mm, and we are back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were finishing up with Billy James Hargis's adult life. And now we're going to move into Billy Sunday's adult life. Now, sometime before Billy Sunday quit playing baseball, he found himself in Chicago on his day off. Poor dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's just too bad. <laughs> uh, he and his teammates were out tearing up the town, seeing what they could do to find... Seeing what they could find to do the <laughs> in the mean streets of Chi-Town. And then Sunday heard a murmur in the distance over the noise and humdrum of city life. A familiar sound caught his ear, and he wandered helplessly toward a street corner. The songs of his childhood came flooding back to him. He remembered his mother singing to him, humming to him. This was the music of his old life, before the orphanage, before it all. It was a missions team from what was called the Pacific Garden Mission, and he was spellbound. When the singing had ceased, Billy Sunday took it on himself to begin going to church, and he was a quick convert. <laughs> I wonder what they were singing. Uh, I don't know. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, anyway, so he began attending a Presbyterian church near his apartment, which was super convenient, and began to come away a new man. Hmm. He began to reject alcohol at team gatherings and decided against gambling, which he had only done now and again before. Hmm. He went farther and began to denounce swearing, too. Oh, no. Sounds like Boston Corbett. Mm -hmm. That's a big frickin' problem. Mm. I don't know why the heck he would do something like that. Frick. Mm, frick. <laughs> so uh, his fans began to notice, hmm. and his teammates began to notice... Uh, and they really took notice of his of the change in only uh, Billy. Oh, <laughs> they really took uh, notice of this. Fuck! Right? No, what are you saying? I'm trying to. What the fuck? And they really took notice of his change <laughs> in old Billy Sunday uh, when he started speaking at church gatherings, being absent during a part of the weekend, hmm. okay. which didn't happen before. I guess not. No. Uh, it also happened that in this glorious year of 1886, Sunday met his future wife. Saturday? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't Monday. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway, so her name was Helen Amelia Thompson. Nell, for short. And he fell for her immediately, uh, even though they were both practically engaged to other people at the time. Oh. Yeah, um. so uh, another obstacle was Nell's father, who hated baseball players pretty thoroughly. He described them as, quote, transient ne'er-do-wells who were unstable and destined to be misfits once they were too old to play. Truth. Mm-hmm. But this bullshit didn't stop Billy Sunday, no sir. He pursued Nell, and the two fell in love and were married. Hmm. Yeah. So here, Billy showed a little humanity in his fervor for Nell, fervor for Nell uh, which I kind of liked. Quote, she was a Presbyterian. I am a Presbyterian. Had she been a Catholic, I would have been a Catholic, because I was hot on the trail of Nell. Nice. Oh, that is kind of cute. Yeah, so he would have joined whatever denomination. And yeah. that will come up later, believe it or not. Hmm. 
Uh, but they were married in 1888. Okay. And by now, Sunday was totally done with baseball. He turned down a major contract and started working at the YMCA. Hmm. His job was pretty simple. Was it to sing that song? Uh, <laughs> he wrote the song. <laughs> anyway, all he had to do was visit the sick and dying, pray for those lost, and stop suicides. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and eventually he was sent out to various taverns, bars, saloons, what have you, in order to invite those nasty drunkards into Chicago Christian meetings. Hmm. Two years later, he was hired as an assistant to a man named J. Wilbur Chapman, who was one of the most famous evangelists at the time, known for his fiery sermons and gigantic meetings across the United States. Billy would go to cities ahead of Chapman and basically whet the people's appetite for a good old revival meeting. Uh, he did this by organizing prayer meetings and hymn sings in local churches, and then dropping the news that, oh, hey, J. Wilbur Chapman's going to be here around to finish the job. Let's go! Yay! Anyway, but Chapman just loved Billy, and... and in doing so, he trained him thoroughly on how to give better sermons and gave him crash courses in theology and apologetics. Is that something you can do with crash courses? Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, just boom. Apologetics. Uh, Jesus, man! <laughs> eventually, though, Chapman got a bit tired of the traveling circus style of evangelism. This left Billy a little out in the cold because he wasn't a trained pastor and didn't have a church to go home to like Chapman. Uh, so he began his own traveling circus of evangelism, a 12-year circuit called the Kerosene Circuit. Whoa. Named thusly because most of the cities he visited in that 12 years didn't have electricity quite yet. Oh, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, he's lighting the fires of Jesus under their asses. And if they don't, they'll be thrown into the fiery pits of kerosene. Oh, oh your my laundry. laundry. Your laundry's Hold done. Hold on, I'll be right back. Uh, <laughs> contrary to popular belief, he does Stop have it. clothes. Hey. Now, it really helped that uh, Sunday had been a professional baseball player. Oh. I wonder why. Uh, he would often organize baseball games around his revival meetings and would play with the locals. Hmm. One game he would play on one team, the next he would play on the other. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. He would sometimes wear his pro baseball uniform around town at the revivals in order to generate buzz. And there's a report that he once hired a circus giant to serve as an usher. Oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so getting a little P.T. Barnum here. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, but anyway, all this buzz made Billy's Sunday super popular. Hmm. This is when he started joining the tent revival movement because he literally couldn't fit everyone in the buildings who wanted to hear his messages. Huh. Which must say something about his speaking skills. I guess so. Uh, at this stage, Billy was setting up the tents basically by himself. Himself because he couldn't afford to pay anyone to help. Also, wow. he was sleeping in the tents to keep them secure from ne'er-do-wells like baseball players and the like. Uh, isn't he married? Uh, yes, but she's at home and he's out on tent revivals. Oh. This will come up later. Okay. Then something terrible happened that changed everything. Hmm. A snowstorm in Colorado destroyed Sunday's tent. Oh. What's a preacher to do when he has no tent? I don't know. Hmm. Well, he could demand that the towns he planned to visit build tabernacles out of wood. But that would be crazy expensive, right? What? Nope. (laughs) That's exactly what he did. And many people actually did it. Wow. The act of building, however, brought more people into these towns to listen and really made Billy look a lot more elaborate and refined than just a regular old tent revivalist. Hmm. I actually have an excellent quote from a guy who went to one of these things. His uh, name was Fred Betts. And you better bet. (laughs) God damn it. Okay. Here's what he had to say. Imagine a great low-roofed wooden structure capable of seating 12,000 people. The seats are wooden benches. The posts are small timbers, not more than 6 by 6 or 8 by 8 so that they do not obstruct the view. The whole great tabernacle is strewn with sawdust. The smell of the wood rises almost like incense. The aisles lead straight down the whole length and in from the sides. They all center before a platform, which stands three-fourths of the way down toward the end of the tabernacle. This platform is perhaps 20 or more feet square. Well, it is raised about ten feet from the ground. The only furniture on it uh, is uh, plain old wooden... uh, What? Fuck? Okay, sorry. (laughs) The only furniture on it regularly is a plain wooden pulpit and an ordinary chair. Above it hangs a great sounding board. Halfway below it, to one side, is another platform on which stands a fine piano. On the other side of the platform, and just behind, is a space for reporters and ministers. Beyond them, ascend the rows of seats where the great chorus makes an ascending mountain of human faces banked clear to the roof. God damn. I know. What a description. All right, so, like, really big. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, so in 1908, Billy Sunday had uh, grown to such huge popularity that he was spending untold amounts of time away from home. Uh, Told you this would come up. This was both bad for him and Nell, Mm. his wife, Mm. in case you forgot. 
she was managing four kids oh. all on her own while Billy was out all on his lonesome uh, doing some preaching. Hmm. But you might say divine intervention then occurred because yeah. Billy got the brilliant idea of hiring Nell as an administrator and organizer for his meetings. Because raising four kids wasn't busy enough. Yeah, but uh, they took care of that because they put their kids under the care of a full-time nanny. Oh, <laughs> and well, uh, began traveling and working together. <laughs> this combined effort turned the Sundays into an absolute force. And <laughs> nearly ten years later, they had a staff of twenty-six people: musicians, custodians, ushers, security officers, and more. Jeez. Yeah, a system began to naturally emerge from all this busyness. Billy's music man would light up the gathered flock with an absolute tidal wave of praise and worship music, and once people were good and high on the Lord, Billy would emerge from the backstage, running from one end to the other, getting people even more riled up. Uh, I imagine he moonwalked every now and then. (laughs) That's funny. But uh, sometimes he pretended... This is not a joke. Sometimes he pretended to slide into home plate like he pretty much never did in his baseball days. (laughs) And then he would deliver his sermon... All his notes were written in big enough letters for him to see from anywhere on the stage because this dude was animated and he was an absolute riot to watch, apparently. He would charge around the stage and point at individuals in the crowd, jump around in anger and passion, and would actually smash chairs (laughs) against the stage to emphasize particularly important theological points. like a rock star before rock. I know! Wow. Uh, But one of my favorite things that I found out about this whole thing was Uh Billy's speaking style. Hmm. He was known for being super down-to-earth and colloquial, and his sermons on sex were no different. Here we, go. Here we go. One minister who attended one of Billy's meetings on sex said the following amazing thing. Uh, Many of the things said and done bordered upon things prohibited in decent society. The sermon on the amusements was preached three times to mixed audiences of men and women, boys and girls. If the sermons to women had been preached to just married women, if the sermons to men had been preached to just mature men, if the sermon on amusements had been preached to grown folks, there might have been an excuse for them and it might have been perhaps good for them. But an experienced newspaper reporter told me that the sermon on amusements was, quote, the rawest thing ever put over in Syracuse. I cannot, must not, quote from this sermon. Mr. Sunday's sermon on the sex question was raw and disgusting. There's that word again, raw. I know, I was just going to say. <laughs> he also heard the famous, uh, sorry, uh, he also heard the famous sermons on amusements and booze. Hmm. He says that all in all, they were the ugliest, nastiest, most disgusting addresses he had ever listened to from a religious platform or a preacher from any religion. He saw people carried out who had fainted under that awful definition of sensuality and depravity. Wow. Yeah, so reportedly he made anywhere from 2 to 12 men faint during one of his sermons. Gosh. Like, every time he gave it. Wow. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Billy Sunday was also noticed uh, noted for preaching heavily on the doctrines of hell, damnation, and unforgivable sins. Of course. My favorite. There it is. <laughs> uh, he apparently got really good at scaring people into converting by telling his audiences about people he had preached to who died literally seconds before they could convert, and uh, they went straight to hell. Oh. And he had, I mean, believe me, he had a lot of critics who were not cool with that. Sure. Um, So uh, when he was questioned on whether or not he was manipulating his audience's emotions, Billy Sunday said that his revivals did not have a single ounce of, quote, emotionalism. Ah, yeah, not at all. <laughs> okay, well, good to know. Um, yeah, another thing that caused problems with the acoustics of the wooden tabernacles, babies just weren't fucking allowed. And if you brought one, Billy would chase you out with all the passion you'd expect. And that explains the sawdust on the floor. That was meant to dampen the echo. Uh, and altar calls became known as hitting the sawdust trail. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know. This is just so weird. But Sunday was a smash hit. His full sermons were printed for soldiers fighting in World War I. Oh, he wow. traveled all over the goddamn place, eventually getting to larger cities like Philadelphia, Detroit, Boston, and even New York City. And the money was pouring in. While an average worker uh, at the time was earning something like $836 a fucking year, Sunday was making that and more in a fucking day. Yeah, but Sunday was pretty good with it. He actually donated tons of money to various missions around the country, and even war charities. Oh, well, Uh, good. Yeah, still. uh, He was effectively a millionaire, and this got him into dinner meetings with two presidents and many other important folks, including pop singers. But anyway, so the Sundays owned land all over the country, including an apple orchard in Oregon. But that was kind of it. Hmm. Sunday gave most of his money away. They never owned a car. They dressed well, but didn't overspend. The only thing that they really did spend a lot of money on was a bungalow in Indiana. But even that was pretty modest, relatively speaking. Hmm. I mean, if you're a millionaire and you have a bungalow, I mean, come on. Not in Indiana. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wouldn't put it in Indiana. No. 
Uh, but anyway, so all this money was just flowing in thanks to the help of some fantastic doctrines. We ought to mention that Billy Sunday believed. Uh, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. There are some classics, some that come with the early Christianity stuff and some that are more recent mutations of Protestantism. Mm. So he is described as a fundamentalist okay. and uh, preached the doctrine of biblical inerrancy, which, if you don't know, listener, is just that the Bible is right about everything always, all the time, without exception. Yes. Uh, he also believed in the virgin birth of Christ, pretty typical, and the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, which is basically that Jesus died for your sins, just accept him, and it's all okay. Hmm. Right? So, yes. Uh, this is fairly different from a lot of classic Christian doctrines, particularly Catholicism, and particularly at that time. Uh, it would, those involved a lot more penance and things like purgatory and had a lot less to say about the magic words uh, of Jesus, who will make it okay. Got it. Hmm. So, uh, Sunday really believed in a literal devil ah. and a literal hell, and ah. finally that Jesus was coming back real Real soon. <laughs> I feel like that's how it all ends. Yeah. Everyone says that. Yeah, they do. He's coming back. He'll be here any minute. Yep. <laughs> Um, and however, uh, Sunday was a little different as a Protestant, honestly. Yeah. Back in that time, being a Protestant basically meant you had to have a big problem with the Roman Catholic Church. Ah. Sort of like Harkus, you know. Yeah. Um, but Sunday just kind of didn't. Hmm. And even the little cards he handed out to people who had become Christians at his revivals were sent out to whatever denomination to which the convert belonged. Oh. Which means that Sunday was sending these conversion cards to the Roman Catholic Church to let them know that a lost lamb had come back to their fold. Noteworthy. Yeah, <laughs> that, that does, definitely stands out. Yeah, that does oh. stand out. Um, now, as for Sunday's political views, uh, he was a big old Republican and was often criticized for this. Go figure. Yep. Uh, his progressive views were as follows. He didn't like child labor. Okay, you good. <laughs> he supported urban reform. Good. Yeah, good. He was interested in fixing race relations at the time. Great. And he supported the women's right to vote. That's fucked up. <laughs> as for the negatives, he got some contributions from the KKK. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he accepted uh, them, of course. Yeah. Uh, he thought of World War One as a holy war between the holy nation of the United States and the unholy hell of Germany. Ah. Yeah, so he was quoted as saying the United States was heaven, Germany was hell. Yeah. Okay. So he was famous for building support for prohibitionism uh, and went back on the trail for it after the laws were repealed in 1933. Hmm. He opposed immigration, opposed the teaching of evolution, opposed dancing, opposed playing cards, opposed the theater, and opposed novel reading. Okay. But, 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 he loved baseball. And he called it a, quote, patriotic form of recreation, as long as it wasn't played on Sundays. Oh, I wish you could <laughs> see what it was now. Yeah. And with that info dump, I think it's time to move on to the death phase of this episode. Can we take a break first? I think we should take a break. Because I want to die. Yeah, I want to die too. We're going to go die, everybody. We'll be right back. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People. And we're going to go right into Billy James's Hargus's Billy James What are we doing to him? End in death. Uh, we're going to kill him. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have to because he's already dead. Oh, good. In 1974, Hargus lost a lot of influence and following when he was accused of seducing two college students at American Christian College. The two students were a man and woman actually engaged to each other. Ah! Hargus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Hargus, no! Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, no. Hargus was to be the pastor to marry both of them. Oh, no. After the wedding, the couple accused Hargus of forcing both of them to have sex with him before the wedding on different occasions. Wha what? Yeah. Oh, my God. So it wasn't like a threesome. He just got no. the girl. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And apparently they didn't know until their honeymoon. And they're like, oh, by the way. I'm not a virgin, and uh, this is why. Uh, now, okay, here's the thing. Okay. Hargus denied the charges until his death. All right. And we don't... It was never decided whether this actually happened or not. Okay. Uh, other allegations were brought up against Hargus, but none of those were ever proven as well. So we don't really know. Okay. Uh, there's just not enough evidence, and the cases were never finished. Sure. But nevertheless, the allegations were enough to really hurt Hargus's career. Additionally, his anti-Catholic and pro-segregation viewpoints were starting to alienate him from most conservative Christian Americans. Uh, as they would. Yeah. Uh, Hargus eventually moved to a farm in Missouri where he continued to write books and make radio broadcasts. Wow. He died actually pretty recently in 2004 from Whoa. Alzheimer's disease at the age of 79. How about that? Yeah. I thought he was, like, way older than that. No. Uh, Hargus has somewhat of an interesting legacy. No kidding. Yeah. He was a prime leader of the early American Christian right movement. Okay. Which had a good amount of power in the 50s and 60s. However, the movement kind of fell apart after people realized that, you know, racism and anti-Catholic sentiments are kind of bad. Yeah. 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 
but this movement did pave the way, did pave the groundwork for the modern Christian conservatism movement, which really took off after the sexual revolution of the 60s, and especially after abortion was legalized in 1973. Mm. This new movement learned from the mistakes of the first movement and welcomed both minorities and Catholics somewhat. <laughs> uh, so I guess we have Hargis to thank for that. And if anything, I mean, they lost then. They've been losing a lot recently. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the election. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But that's... I actually don't think they won. No. <laughs> <laughs> they think they won. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's fun. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, that's really interesting. But hey, let's move over to Billy Sunday's end in dev, huh? Let's do it. All right. So after World War One. Billy Sunday began to lose some popularity. Why? Why? Radio. Um, Radio evangelists and their damnable technology. Sunday kept going around doing his revivals, but fewer and fewer people showed up. Hmm. Furthermore, Billy Sunday's sons were getting into all kinds of nasty business like gambling, drinking, and sleeping around, which was, of course, not good for a preacher to have to defend. And uh, they got blackmailed quite a lot for it. That's Mm. not good. And then Billy Sunday lost his daughter. And his oldest son, George, committed suicide. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. But even with all this, Sunday fought onward for the last 15 years of his life, suffering a heart attack when he was in the pulpit and dying a week later. Hmm. His legacy? Fire and brimstone, another Christian revival in America, and lasting effects that we still see today. Sure. Also, sex sermons that made people faint. Hmm. That's pretty great, let's be honest. Let's bring those back. Because <laughs> we need more of those. I, I gotta say, I don't hate Billy Sunday after hearing all that. Like, no. I don't agree with everything, but I don't hate the dude. Well, see, that's the, that's the difference between him and someone like Hargis. Yeah. Billy Sunday was sort of a product of his environment, I think, just kind of behind the times in yeah. some regards. And then Billy James Hargis is fighting to be behind the times. Yeah, right? exactly. So he ends up on the wrong side of history, and Billy Sunday just comes out as kind of, you know, an anachronism and yeah. whatnot. But, the, um, the old gods. <laughs> the old gods. Uh, uh, but hey, I mean, it was pretty progressive of him to accept pretty much everyone from any denomination. Well, um, for sure. And it, yeah. and it sounds like he had some pretty cool missions. Oh, yeah. I mean, giving most of his money to charities and things. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But uh, that was fiery and exciting in a lot of ways. And also, I feel like I would totally go to one of those Sunday revival sermons. Well, James, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Uh, I'll probably just eat beef jerky. That's it. Just me and my jerky. Hmm, sounds great. And you know, while you're eating your jerky, just remember that you should feel free to send all your hate mail to We Talk About Dead People Podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to buy a piece of waxy sausage smashed between two halves of a loaf of processed margarine at McDonald's helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sexy sounds of Billy Sunday's sermons play you out. Do you want to go to your wife with the... Do you want to go with your wife to the dance? You don't dance and she is a fiend. You stand there and watch man after man as he claims her hand and puts his name on her list. Perhaps that fellow was her lover and you want her hand and you stand there and watch your wife folded in his long, voluptuous, sensual embrace. Their bodies swaying one against the others. Their twilimps... Their limbs twining and entwining, her head resting on his breast as they breathe the vitiated air beneath the glittering candelabra. I have no Q-tips for you.